This intro is 20 seconds long. Start washing your hands now. You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Welcome to a special episode of the Central Station podcast. We actually had something different planned for this week. It's going to be something lighthearted and fun. But then, you know, coronavirus happened. Um, and I'm sure that by now you are well and truly sick of hearing about the coronavirus or COVID-19. I don't know if you guys kind of noticed this, but they were calling it coronavirus for so long. And then all of a sudden it just switched to COVID-19, which made me think that like the Corona beer company was like, guys, please stop it. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter what name people are using. Um, it's everywhere and you can't escape it. So we may as well talk about it. Now we all know that the media loves a good story and can and will go overboard on reporting dramatization and creating a whole lot of hype which makes it that much harder to discern if what they're going on about actually merits significant attention. It's a pretty confusing time. And you've probably been asking a few questions lately, such as, is the coronavirus as deadly and threatening as the media keeps saying it is? Are the extreme measures of closing borders and cancelling all travel and events genuine responses to this disease outbreak? Or is everyone just panicking and looking over the fence at what others are doing? I mean, does anybody actually know what's going on? I mean, don't even get me started on the conspiracy theories. Although, if you're into that kind of thing, there's some really good ones out there. Here's the thing, though. I'm not a doctor, nor an epidemiologist, nor any kind of medical professional. I'm also not very good at making myself sound credible, apparently. But this episode is is not here to debate the validity of what's been going on, nor to make judgment on the actions which have been taken so far. Whether or not the virus itself is as deadly and threatening as it is reported to be, we cannot deny the impact it is having on our economy and our community. First of all, it feels like a pretty dang good time to be living in some of the most remote parts of the world. I think everyone can fully appreciate right now that we live in small communities where cattle far outnumber humans. And I think we can appreciate that there is a reduced risk of coming into contact with individuals who are ill, because we just don't see that many people on a day-to-day basis, let alone strangers. Here's the thing, though. Just because we're likely to have a lower risk of contracting the coronavirus, it does not mean that we are untouchable or that we won't feel the effects of it. In this episode, I want to discuss a couple of different things. First up, I want to talk about how to reduce the risk of contraction and what to do if you're living in a rural or remote location and start to identify with any of the symptoms. And for this, I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Katie Clift, who is the head medical consultant for the Queensland section of the Royal Flying Doctor Service of Australia. And then I want to have a chat about how this whole coronavirus pandemic is affecting people in rural and remote Australia and what we can do to help. And this includes talking about the lockdowns that are currently happening on cattle stations and Indigenous communities, the issues that stations are facing, and what's happening to our local economy. Today's episode is sponsored by Pioneer Water Tanks. Designed for Australia's harsh and demanding conditions, Pioneer Water Tanks are manufactured using strong and durable, fully recyclable Australian zinc alum or Calibon steel. Their range of tanks are available from 12,000 to 250,000 litres in the standard range or can be custom built up to 2.6 million litres. To protect your valuable water assets and access it where and when you need it, insist on Pioneer Water Tanks, available Australia-wide. Okay, so first up. Like I just said, I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Katie Clift, who is the head medical consultant for the Queensland section of the RFDS. With a waiting room of 7.69 million square kilometres, the RFDS provides 24-hour aeromedical emergency services that can reach anywhere, no matter how remote, within hours. Combined with telehealth consultations, fly-in, fly-out GP and nurse clinics, mobile dental services, 
patient transfers, and a myriad of other health services, the RFDS is constantly working to see that those living in rural and remote areas can enjoy the same health outcomes as those living in city areas. Now, I wanted to reach out to the RFDS to chat about coronavirus, because I think it's fairly safe to say that people living on a remote cattle station have a lower chance of coming into contact with a person who is carrying the coronavirus. But there is still a chance. And living remotely means that people may either not have the means or actually be willing to travel several hours to see a doctor and be tested. And then, you know, on the one hand, in our industry, we get covered in blood and dirt and diesel on a daily basis. So I'd like to think our hygiene skills are pretty top notch. However, we can't deny that in our industry, we also have that pretty relaxed, nah, mate, she'll be right attitude towards a lot of things. And so I'm wondering how many people have genuinely stopped shaking hands or increased washing their hands. Um, you know, do we think, oh, nah, we're on a cattle station in the middle of nowhere, couldn't get us out here, wouldn't survive out here. Like, I don't know. I just have a feeling that there's probably a few people out there with that attitude. So I wanted to chat to the RFDS. Dr. Cliff, welcome to the podcast. I guess if we could start off, could you tell me what makes this disease um, worthy of being treated so differently compared to the common flu? Yes, of course. So, um, Although it is described as a flu-like illness because some of the symptoms are similar to a, a flu, the really big difference uh, with this novel coronavirus is that there is no community immunity, which means that nobody has been exposed to it previously. And what that means is that um, as one person infects another, infects another, we can have a huge surge of cases, which um, do, does two things. One is it can overwhelm health services. Uh, but it's also very disruptive. So you can, if, if it spreads in, in an office or um, in a workforce, you can lose a whole team very quickly. So it's very disruptive to, to society and to businesses. What advice does the RFDS have for people who are living in rural and remote locations regarding the coronavirus? So I think the, uh, the, the key messages are to try and stay aware of what the um, what the government and what Queensland Health are advising in terms of, of uh, strategies to reduce the spread of the virus. At the moment, the um, the advice is very much around hand hygiene. The the virus is spread from person to person. Um, it's spread in um, it's a droplet spread, so that means respiratory secretions that fall onto hard surfaces. Uh, if you then touch that surface, touch your face, your eyes, your nose, that's how the, how the virus spreads between people. So hand washing um, and cleaning surfaces is the, the first line of defence, and that applies to anybody wherever you live. The, the second strategy that's in place to uh, limit the spread um, of the virus is um, the concept of social distancing, which in some ways will be easier for people who uh, live in the remote locations because in smaller communities, um, they see less people. There are lo- less large gatherings of people in small confines. Um, but it's still an awareness of that. Um, and traveling between different locations and interacting with other people um, are all risks. So staying staying at home um and washing hands are the two main strategies to follow. Okay. And if somebody uh, presents with symptoms that are uh, consistent with those for coronavirus, does the RFDS have the capability and the capacity to test people or do people need to go into town or to a city for that? So the test could be taken by a doctor in a remote location, um, but the actual samples will need to go to a city to be tested. It takes several days to process the test in any case. Um, But the test, which is just a swab, so it's a swab from the back of the nose and the back of the throat, um, can be taken wherever people are. Okay. And if somebody starts to feel unwell and they're out on a cattle station um, and, you know, it's quite a a ways for them to get into town, what should they do? Should they – is the first protocol to kind of self-isolate on the station or go in and see your GP? Yeah, so I think if you you feel unwell, to to start with you – um, you need to have make some assessment of whether or not you feel that you have been exposed to um, to the virus. So if you've been um, in a small community and not in contact with anybody from outside for 
uh, quite a while, it's unlikely. And I think you can at first, at first assume that you've got the same um, sort of normal uh, coughs, colds, diseases that you, you would get at any other time. If you think that there's a chance that um, you have been exposed, if you've travelled into town or if you've had visitors on a station, um, then you might have a slightly higher index of suspicion. Uh, anybody at the moment who is experiencing um, coughs and fevers particularly are being it's being suggested that they should self-isolate. So that means um, staying at home for 14 days, um, avoiding close contact with other people, even the people that they live with. In terms of how uh, they would know whether they have this disease, it, in the first instance, it, apart from the social isolation, you can treat it like any other. It's um, just about managing your symptoms, so keeping fluids up, taking um, paracetamol, resting and recovering. The, there isn't any need particularly to um, get additional help. Um, it, it's, it, for most people, it will be a mild illness and they can manage it themselves at home. It peaks at about the eighth day of illness. So about a week into the illness is when people start to get more unwell if that's going to happen. Um, and it can last for up to 20 days. So not getting better after eight or nine days is not necessarily a concern. Um, what would be a concern would be um, getting breathless or having difficulty breathing to go along with that cough and fever. And if and if that symptom was to present, um, is that a case then when people would call the RFDS rather than just driving to town? I suppose you could get a, a consult over the phone at that point in time anyway, couldn't you? That's something the RFDS does normally. Yeah, absolutely. And and the telephone um, consultations are really key to this um, because even if, if, if they were going to call for some help to come to them or if they were going to drive into town, it's really important that whoever is going to um, see you, whatever your healthcare provider is, they need to be warned in advance so that they can um, they can advise you on whether you need to um, done some uh, some uh, a mask or some gloves before you're assessed because it's very important that the healthcare providers are not getting infected with this. So absolutely, if you're going to come into town to present at an ED or um, visit a GP, you must call ahead and, and describe to them what your symptoms are and they'll talk to you about whether or not there's a likelihood that it could be this virus. Now, we've got a few questions that have been sent in from our listeners. Um, one of them is, is it, is it the coronavirus really as bad in Australia like the rest of the world or are we sort of a bit lucky at the moment? Well, I think um, at the moment we uh, Australia seem to be controlling it pretty well. Um, Australia is trying to learn lessons from uh, how it has progressed in other parts of the world um, and there's a real opportunity here for, for Australia to learn those lessons and control the spread of the, the disease. So um, the the travel restrictions that the government are introducing and they're ramping up their precautions that they're advising all the time, it's really important that Australians follow those um, because we do have an opportunity to really limit how this disease spreads and avoid some of the really disastrous situations that we've seen um, in other parts of the world. Okay. I do actually wonder whether the the warmer temperatures and the humidity that we have will help us too, uh, because there is evidence that the virus um, doesn't survive as long in warm and humid conditions. So that may may be a good thing for us. Another question we had sent in was: once you contract it and recover, are, are you then immune from it, or does it come back like a cold? Oh, so it's very early in this virus's life um, and the study around it to, to know the answers to that. Um, and I don't think we have very clear evidence either way as to whether having had this uh, this virus, whether people will be immune or not. And there's always a chance that a virus like this will mutate um, and do a repeat round with a slightly different version. So I don't think there's any clear evidence either way on that just yet. And this time of year is when people are moving 
all around the country, um, coming from all parts of the country and sometimes the world out to cattle stations to start the, the season for the year. So what would you say to station hands that are currently traveling interstate to start their new jobs? Um, what precautions should they be taking and, and what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think that is a, is a real cause for concern. Um, currently, interstate travel is still um, has not been advised against, but um, I would anticipate that 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 may come. Um, the Prime Minister has just today advised against international travel. Uh, I think as a as a property owner, if you have um, station hands coming into the property from other um, locations, there's, there's a real caution around that. Um, it may be um, it may be wise to isolate anybody new that comes into your property, particularly if they have come from an area where the, this virus has been around, so so that they're isolated and and uh, not in contact with the rest of your family and staff um, until it's clear that they they're not going to develop any signs or symptoms of the virus, because that is definitely a way that you could introduce it. Um, to a station um, with, you know, potentially disastrous effects. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Cliff. Do you have any closing advice for our listeners? Um, just to say, really, that this is such a, a changing situation that um, every day brings something new. The advice um, from from Queens and Health and from the um, federal government is really critical that we follow that and as it updates. Um, so, um, although the, what I've talked about is, is correct today, it may be that things have changed, um, tomorrow. So really important to, to follow the advice and keep up to date. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end ag industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. Now, while fights are breaking out in the toilet paper aisle at Woolies and the black market for hand sanitizer is going gangbusters, you would think that those of us outside the city would be relatively unaffected. Or at least, that's what we've all been hoping. As of this week, a number of cattle stations across the North are in lockdown. Now, if I were a regular media person, I would probably try and make this sound super dramatic, but I'm not, so I won't. This is just a case of businesses taking precautions to protect their staff. Like I said earlier, because of the extremely low volume of people that we come into contact with on a daily basis out in a cattle station versus people in towns and cities, there is a lower risk of contracting the virus. However, it still only takes one person to change all of that. And I think the companies who are enforcing a lockdown are being quite reasonable, to be honest. It's sort of like Australia and our biosecurity. Being an island, we have, well, usually we are free from pests and diseases that the rest of the world isn't. And to keep it that way, we have strict biosecurity and quarantine rules. We are really privileged compared to other countries. And right now, cattle stations are like these little oasises. They have such a low volume of people pass through, they can pretty much guarantee they're COVID-19 free, and I don't blame them for trying to keep it that way. Now, the companies, I've heard of quite a few companies that are in lockdown, um, and most of them are corporates as opposed to family shows, and there's various stages of lockdown. Um, But one of the companies that is taking a number of precautions is the Australian Agricultural Company, or AACO, as it's commonly known. And I'm going to read you a statement from the Managing Director and CEO, Hugh Colleen. This was a public letter posted on the AACO website. Hugh writes, As one of our valued business partners, we wanted to update you on the measures that the Australian Agricultural Company Limited is taking around the current COVID-19 pandemic, also known as coronavirus. As an organisation, we are are taking the issue and our response to the virus seriously. 
we have taken a proactive stance as a part of our responsibility to maintain our global supply chain and our responsibility to protect our people and assets in rural and remote areas. AOCO will continue to operate as normal throughout this period with no change to the availability of our people. We have asked our team to work remotely until the end of the month and close the reception to the Skyring office in Brisbane. We are monitoring official advice each day, remain in regular contact with government authorities to understand their response to the outbreak, and are keeping in close contact with our stakeholders to manage our business globally. To further ensure that remains the case, we are making some operational changes in our supply chain. These include a temporary ban of visitors to our stations and quarantining any staff who have travelled overseas for 14 days. Extra precautions are also being taken at our processing facilities. Finally, the safety of our people is extremely important, as well as allowing our staff to work from home where possible. We have also made the decision to suspend all business, domestic and international travel, both from Australia and in between market overseas and between markets overseas. This won't cause any disruptions in our communication with you. We appreciate your understanding during this time and hope these are only short-term disruptions. Thank you for your ongoing support. Yours sincerely, Hugh Colleen. Now, I think that was a really great letter um, and I think it's great what AECO is doing. These are uncertain times. They're unprecedented. We don't have something to look back on uh, and say, well, this is what we did then, so this is what we should do now. We're all kind of finding our way in the dark at the moment and I think it's great what they've done and I've seen quite a lot of stuff on social media from AECO employees and basically it's no one goes in, no one goes out. Um and I think that's, like I said, there. yes, there's a lower chance of us getting it, but all it takes is just that one person. I understand there is another um, station at the moment where somebody came to visit and it turns out that person had been in contact with somebody who had the virus. So, you know, and hopefully this person will test negative. But again, it only takes one person. So yes, lower risk, but the risk still exists. And like I said, the measures that cattle stations are taking are, are quite varied and it comes down to the individual operation. Some people have full lockdowns. Some people are letting some people come in and out, um, but they have their own measures in place. So it really needs to be on a case-by-case basis and what works for that business and what is practical for them. It's not only cattle stations that have been affected though. A number of Indigenous communities across Northern Australia, particularly in the Kimberley region, have been placed on lockdown. And to learn more about that, I spoke to Kara Peak. My name is Kara Peak. I'm the chairperson of Nyamburu Yaru, based in Broome. I'm a Yaru Bunabu woman from Broome and Fitzroy Crossing. And I'm also the chairperson of Saltwater Country that does um, a fair amount of work with different communities. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Kara. Um, this week we've seen in the news quite a few communities, at least in northwest WA, have um, gone into lockdown, and I can only expect that that'll probably happen in the Territory as well and, and perhaps Queensland. Can you explain why this is happening? Well, I think it's important to remember that in uh, the Indigenous population across Australia, and in particular in remote and regional and rural communities, um, Indigenous people uh, broadly have a lot higher rates of chronic disease and therefore underlying health issues. And much like anybody else in that situation, uh, are more susceptible to viruses and um, you know illnesses like that and therefore have a much higher risk of firstly uh, contracting it and being uh, and not surviving that situation well. And so there's been some talk about if this does get into communities that it can be quite catastrophic. Can you talk me through what that could actually look like? Well, I mean, keeping in mind that I'm not a health practitioner, um, but I am a person that's done a fair amount of work in communities and um, stakeholder engagement and different things in the work that I do. In regards to what it could look like, um, because of the... um, compromised health situation of a number of Indigenous people and Indigenous communities, uh, they're much higher risk of um, not only, like I said, contracting the, uh, the virus, but also with a lack of readily accessible health services to the level that would may be required, such as uh, large hospitals, high levels of expertise, quick access to ICU beds, 
which are in um, high demand anyway, um, the access to better health outcomes and surviving uh, such a virus um, is pretty dubious. And also with uh, the our elders in particular that uh, suffer a fair amount of chronic disease as well. So very complex health profiles that could be jeopardised or compromised even further by this additional um, circumstance that we all find ourselves in now. And so it's quite important for uh, Indigenous communities to protect themselves as best as possible, which obviously they're doing by lockdown, and then also preparing and educating our people across the board because we do travel a fair bit amongst communities or into towns, much the same as any Triple R community member, and being aware that you know if you can minimise that contact as much as possible, then um, not only are you looking after yourself, but you're looking after your family and also the broader community. Even if you're a young, healthy person, you may carry the virus or um, may in fact suffer symptoms, but um, how those symptoms or how that virus will affect more vulnerable people should be top of mind. Yeah, those are all really good points, Cara. I suppose the other thing is that there's so many communities that are based on cattle stations or adjacent to cattle stations across the north of Australia um, and communities that pass through homesteads and people who work on stations that may pass through communities, you know, vice versa. So what advice do you have to our listeners that may come into contact with people through communities or there may be local Indigenous people working um, on the station as well? Well, I think, I mean, the advice is obviously to follow the health advice that is out there. So, um you know, I mean, one would argue that we should all be washing our hands regularly anyway. But um, just to be hyper vigilant around that um, and disposing of any waste associated, you know, with sanitation, like personal hygiene as well. But um, keeping in mind that only travel if you have to, only go to, um, you know, try and keep uh, large gatherings to a minimum or cancel them as we've seen uh, a number of that, uh, those happen. I know that we, um, Saltwater Country, we are getting um, update after update in regards to rodeos and different events being postponed or cancelled, which although it's quite sad for the community, it's much better that we're all in this together and um, we can celebrate at the next event once you know we get through this. I think with passing through, whether it be Indigenous communities or through the homesteads and um, the different stations, is just being very conscious of your own health as well. And um, if you feel sick, uh, you know, get tested and self-quarantine and, and try and minimise your contact with people and keep yourself uh, calm, obviously, as well. And, and although, like, you know, Triple R community members are very, you know, good at dealing with what gets thrown at them, and this is uh, just another thing that we have to deal with. But be hyper-vigilant so that you understand that your actions um, not only affect yourself and your family but could have a roll-on effect to the broader community and particularly vulnerable people in our communities. And touching on that, I'd also note that if there are people that you know that are in need that may be elderly or disabled or have a lack of access and you are healthy and able to assist, then um, that would be something to also think about. So no doubt um, our communities will rally together, but just to keep in mind our individual responsibility for the greater good as well. That's a really good point. I actually saw on the Broome Community Notice Board yesterday, I think somebody put up a post saying, um, that if anybody was in need, like an elderly person or disabled person, that they could go to the shops for them and or, or go with them yep. and drive them and stuff. So I thought that was really great and hopefully we'll see some more of that happening. And I suppose just Absolutely. In, just in closing, um, if this, you know, the Prime Minister's address this morning said that it could be up to six months before we sort of get the all clear for this and hopefully that's worst case scenario. If a community or several communities have to go into lockdown for you know, the better part of six months, maybe longer. What kind of impact is this going to have on them, I suppose, socially, culturally and economically? Well, socially and culturally is a really big thing, uh, definitely, particularly in Indigenous communities. You know, we have extremely large families. We are interconnected across the region as well as obviously across the country. And we tend to, you know, we come together just by virtue of our family connections in large groups 
for you know cel- celebrations as well as commiserations and and cultural practices and different things. So I think that um, a lot of that will be quite difficult and quite trying, and so it'll be a unique circumstance where we have to manage um, those situations. I think economically. The indigenous communities are, by and large, extremely low socioeconomic anyway and um, battle with a lot of uh, additional issues and um, you know even access to the broader economy just by virtue of their location. So I'm hoping that we find uh, some innovative thinking and um, we get the support that we actually require for our people out on country and uh, that people are mindful of others that may be worse off than them. And from um, an economic standpoint, or at least from a sustenance standpoint, if the community is relatively healthy, hopefully, and hopefully some of these lockdown communities can avoid uh, the virus coming in, but, you know, it's a virus, so that that's obviously not guaranteed, but that, um, you know, people can sustain themselves on country uh, you know, through traditional methods and I'm hoping that much the same is in any disaster, whether it be a flooding or a cyclone and different things that we face up here, that the support will be there from the government um, at different levels to enable at the very least access to basic human rights in um, food and nutrition and medical care and uh, evacuation if required and uh, that the community will band together um, in those circumstances so that and also I think it can bring out the best in people and that perhaps that you know people will come together and try and battle this situation as as a collective which is you know which is our nature and um, that we'll actually come out on the other end. Red Range Stock Supplements is a locally owned family-run business based in Kununurra, Western Australia and services the whole northwest. They offer a range of custom blended supplements for cattle and horses tailored specifically to your individual requirements. For more information or to discuss your supplement needs, please visit redrangestocksupplements.com.au. Okay, so how else is the coronavirus pandemic affecting cattle stations? Earlier this week, I was scrolling through good old Instagram and I came across a post from a friend who is living on a cattle station in the Territory and their monthly food delivery from Woolies had been cancelled. She just got a notification that morning. And then shortly after that, Woolies and Coles announced that it would stop taking online orders across Australia. Okay, so that might not be such a big deal if you actually live near the shops and you can go in at short notice to buy a few items at a time. But most cattle stations rely on online ordering and fortnightly or monthly deliveries. This station who had their order cancelled was four hours away from the nearest Woolies. Now, it's not like these guys can't drive into town. Of course they can. But it's not just a case of distance, but space and purchasing restrictions. All stations are different. Some may only have five or six people living there, and then there's ones that can have up to 50 or 60 people on them at any given point in time. That's a heck of a lot of mouths to feed. So even if you could drive into town, you'd need the world's biggest shopping trolley and, of course, a truck big enough to fit it all in. And a lot of eskies and a lot of ice. Or a lot of angles. So that's in the Northern Territory. And then yesterday I was talking to another station manager um, from WA and he said that his cook had gone into town yesterday and taken the entire crew with her so that they could have one trolley each. That's how much food happens in their, like, that they get in their monthly shop, which is usually like a click and collect and they just go on and pick it up. But with all this panic buying and doomsday preppers, a number of items have been limited per person. So to get the amount of things that they actually need for their station, they've had to bring the whole station in them, in with them as evidence. And then, um, last night I got a message from another friend who's on a station in the Kimberley and she said that she had rung up her local Woolies, um, and they'd said, no, we're not doing bulk orders, you know, even though we understand where you are. So she's taken in her stock camp today with her, which I've asked her to take some pictures. And um, they're all getting a trolley each and they're all going to have to go check out each. And that's the only way they're going to be allowed to buy the amount of food that they need. When she has a stock camp, greater drivers, you know, welders, all sorts of people to feed. 
And guys, these aren't just isolated incidents. I'm going to read out a couple of direct quotes from a thread on Facebook where people on stations were discussing the food shortages. The original poster asked, What is everyone else doing about ordering food for stations? We have two mustering camps and a station which we usually put click and collect orders in for, but these are unavailable now. To get an order the size we require, we would need all 20 plus employees to come to Woolworths with us. Just wondering what everyone else is doing. And some of the replies were, I know, my situation has been a nightmare with our crew. There's 16 adults and a baby in our camp. Had to go to more than one Woolworths and Coles and IGA and still didn't get everything. And then someone else, bless, said, I have to go into a store on tomorrow and I'm really not looking forward to it. It's a six hour drive there and back and ours is for three months. Everyone will accuse me of being a doomsday prepper and I'll be so self-conscious. And to be honest, I don't really have any amazing solutions for this. I'd like to think that grocery stores would recognize station orders for what they are, especially as they would be regular long-term orders. Um, But all I can suggest is calling your local store and explaining the situation and hopefully they cooperate. I suppose the thing is, as, as I've mentioned so many times, cattle stations are also different and they're different distances from towns, different amounts of people. And so they all do sort of acquire food sort of differently. Like I know one place I was on, we would get fresh fruit and veg come out in the mail plane. Another place I was on, the um, Wool- Woolies truck, because we went that far off the highway, the Woolies truck would actually come into the homestead and drop off like pallets of food. Other people um, get food through like distributors. So there'll be like a truck sometimes that drives between like Broome and Kununurra. It's like one of these big cold storage trucks and it will pull in to stations or meet them in towns and drop off again, like pallets and and crates of food. So it's all a bit different, but it definitely, I think the people that usually either run into town or do a big, big bulk order at at a mainstream shopping center like Coles or Woolies um, and then go in and pick it up, are running into a bit of trouble right now. But luckily, um, it's not the case like that for everyone. And earlier today, I had a chat with one of our listeners who is a cook on a cattle station, and I asked them about their situation right now. Just before this all has come about, we actually had a big load of rain from the tropical cyclone Esther um, come come by our way because we're in uh, southwestern Queensland. And um, so we ordered up big, thankfully, um, a big load of stores because we're actually technically still flooded in. So um, we got, we're very lucky to have lots of stores to hand. We've ordered some more and um, thankfully our our groups have been uh, super helpful with um, getting all our supplies um, packed up for us. It's just collecting them that's like been a bit of a problem getting across the creek. Um, so we're well, we're very well prepared with that. We've actually uh, been very vigilant on our. Um, no, no one has coronavirus here. Um, we've put uh, strict hand washing in place and extra like every day, all our door handles are um, disinfected and wiped down. Um, all the rims of the glasses, we're, you know, kind of scouring them, just real extra hygiene precautions, um, uh, using tongs for making sandwiches and, and things like that. Handling any food is all to do with tongs. There is a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of concern. At first, we were pretty much, um, there's no, um, you know, we're miles away, it's all good, but we do have people coming and going so and uh yeah we're just all really trying to stay very positive we're not going crazy with our new role the food's a big thing um just keeping the troops fed and i think that's really important to make everyone feel comfortable and happy and that's really lucky yeah. that you did that yeah. big shop so, be- before the cyclone do you have you so do you normally get your supplies from in town or do you do like an online order through woolies and coles um, we do a, well, we shop with a local grocer. I think he's like an IGA or a food, okay. food works. And so they're and still happy to take your orders and not other. put any restrictions on you? They are, yes. They're very happy to take our orders. And, and after the flight talks, I mean, it was almost like a coincidence. I just, we put in two very big orders and 
Um, my fridge is my fridge and pantry is like a it's like a mini shop really at the moment, yeah. and we've just done uh, a killer as well. So we've got plenty of meat. Um, <clears throat> I make just about everything from scratch. Like I wouldn't be buying things like biscuits and cakes and stuff like that because we generally make everything from scratch on the station. So yeah. it's more like the flour, sugar, eggs, butter. That sort of thing. But sure. um, the main things for us have potatoes, rice, and we've, you know, got, it's just really lucky that yeah we stopped up because of the rain. And I'm very grateful to have my job with the station cook because I feel that if I was working in town, I mean I've basically worked as a chef all my life and then turned to station cooking in the last two or three years for a bit of a lifestyle change. And I, I do feel that if I was still doing that trade now I'd be in town I'd be probably you know looking down the back of the couch for some change to try and buy something in the shop that probably isn't there you know just I'm lucky to have my job you know a lot of people have lost their jobs in the food industry because of what's happening so it says a lot for being isolated sometimes so yeah I feel pretty lucky. Okay so how else is this whole coronavirus pandemic affecting us and our community? I think it's no surprise that our social calendar is going to take a massive hit this year. So many events have been called off, including the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association Conference in Alice Springs, the Sydney Royal Easter Show, the Nullarbor Muster, the Dolly's Dream Night Under the Stars, and so many camp drafts, just too many to name. And I expect that we're going to see a number of rodeos and race meets cancelled too. Now, this might sound like a first world problem, and don't get me wrong, I know it is, but it doesn't make it any less of a problem. Social gatherings are so incredibly important for people who live in isolation. Humans are social beings, and we do need to spend time with people aside from those living on the station. I think anyone that's ever spent any time on a station can attest to that. You need to get out and see some fresh faces. Furthermore, when you live and work on the same patch of dirt, it's important that you actually physically get away from that patch of dirt from time to time. And then we've got to take into account the last couple of years, which have been really trying and challenging because of drought, fires and floods. And the hard times aren't over for everyone, that's for sure. You've probably seen some stuff on the news lately about drought-breaking rains and, oh, we've got rain and it's all better now, but it isn't. And it takes more than one rain and, and not everywhere did get rain to break a drought. So you've got these people who have been slogging their guts out trying to look after cattle and country, and then the few opportunities they do have to be social and take a breather are postponed or cancelled. Can you see why I'm a little worried? I mean, I'm not trying to make it all doom and gloom, but what I'm trying to say is that we need to come up with a plan to ensure that we remain connected during a time where social distancing is being advised. The obvious solution is social media, right? You can remain connected without actually having to be near another person. Whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever you use, just make sure you keep using it and really think about what you're posting. Yes, we need to be aware and up to date, but a newsfeed full of coronavirus isn't going to help our morale, especially when there's a lot of fake news and scams out there too. Wow, I just sounded very Donald Trump then. Anyway, what I was trying to get to was let's be alert but not alarmed. I think for every coronavirus article you post, you should post a cat video or something funny to balance it out. Just so we don't get, I think it can be very easy for all of us to fall down the rabbit hole with this and just become quite consumed with it. Now, video chat, whether through Skype, Snapchat, FaceTime, or any of the other platforms is a real blessing in today's world. You may not be able to visit someone in person, but it is one step up from a phone call. And in saying that, I do recommend that you reach out to people and actually call them. It's one thing to keep in touch through Facebook Messenger or text message, but actually talking on the phone to someone really is a whole different kettle of fish. This is, you know, we have that one day a year where everyone asks, are you okay? On are you okay day? But, and, and, and I think a message from are you okay day is that you need to ask that not just on that day, but all year long. And I think this is, these next few months are going to be a time where we really need to reach out to friends because there is so much uncertainty and we're all in this together, but there is so much uncertainty. What's going to happen? How is it going to play out? How long is it going to last? You know, nobody knows. And 
of course, the way it's affecting the economy and travel, you know, people will be restricted from seeing their families depending on where they live. They've had plans cancelled. They may have lost money. They may lose jobs. Like it's going to be a really trying time for everyone, but we're all in it together and we just need to make sure we keep those communication lines open. Now, as I mentioned before, I'm not a doctor. And I just want to reiterate that before going on to this next point, because I'm not giving any medical advice. But at the time of recording, the government has only restricted events where attendees exceed 500 people outside and 100 people inside. But I think that's going to continue to be cut back pretty soon. And they're even talking about stopping um, domestic travel within Australia. And, And today they did call off international travel out of Australia. So I'm wondering, depending on how long this goes on, if it might be okay for people to have small gatherings with people they know and people who they know haven't been travelling or coming into contact with many other people. I mean, surely having your neighbours over for a barbecue if the local draft has been cancelled would be okay, assuming they're all fit and healthy. But this is what I meant earlier, though, that saying, you know, there's a lower risk, but there is still a risk. What if someone does a town run, bumps into someone that's infected and then brings it back to the station? Good Lord. No, I sound like one of those panicky media people. Again, I think we just need to be alert, not alarmed, and use common sense. Do you have any ideas for how we can stay connected during these times of social distancing? Please let us know in our Facebook group called Central Station Podcast or send us a message via our website. Now, early this morning, I had a chat with somebody who's very close to the Central Station website. She actually um, had the very first workshop where the idea for the website came up and then she put me in touch with Jane who had the idea for the website and connected us all those years ago. Her name is Catherine Marriott or Maz. She is a, a staple of the Northern beef industry of the pastoral industry. She's been there everywhere. She's worked in live export in Indo. She's a nutrition qualified nutritionist. She was the CEO of the Kimberley Pilbara Cattlemen's Association. You name it, she's done it. She's a big part of our world. And she's actually self-isolating at the moment. So I had a chat to her about that experience. Maz, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, although maybe you should be thanking me because you are currently self-isolating. So I'm glad I can bring something new to your day. Um, some contact with the outside world. Happy days. I'll celebrate any bit of that that I can get at the moment. Now, you've just come back from Indonesia, but you actually came back in before the um, the restrictions were put in place. So what were you doing over there, first of all? So I was over there uh, every year. I'm on the ACR Commission, so the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research. And every year we go over and have a look at one country where we are sponsoring research. So ACR um, basically does research for development. So we're a very small part of the foreign aid budget. uh, And we work with farmers, with researchers in particular countries surrounding Australia to um, help fund and partner uh, to deliver research that's actually going to have an impact on farmers and help them you know, become more sustainable. So uh, we were over there in Indonesia having a look at some projects over there and, um, yeah, it was a fantastic trip. And so you came back in on the Friday and it wasn't until the Sunday night um, that the Prime Minister put the restrictions into place saying that anybody who's come from overseas must self-isolate for 14 days. But you're, you're self-isolating anyway. Why have you chosen to do that if you didn't have to? I mean, in Indonesia, um, where the coronavirus is and it's ramping up quite quickly, we did not technically have to self-isolate it. But as a group, we spoke about the risks of bringing corona back in unknowingly. Obviously, I'm fairly healthy still, uh, but I couldn't live with myself. If I live in a really small community now, 1,600 people, and I couldn't live with myself if I unknowingly bought that virus into our town and then somebody got sick. So for me, it was just about, like, it's easy enough for me to do self-isolate. I'm lucky enough that I work from home anyway. Uh, and for me, it was just about, you know, doing the right thing, I guess. What has it been like self-isolating? Like, what are you doing to pass the time? And are you out of your pyjamas yet? <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe you asked that question. <laughs> because, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have to be. Because <laughs> I'm not 
seeing anybody. Um, but yeah, I know self-isolation, honestly, it's, it's the least that I can do to keep my friends, family and community safe. So yeah, it's a little bit inconvenient. You know, I can't have friends, I can't attend meetings. Um, for the community, obviously my community was fairly badly, well, extremely badly burnt by uh, the bushfires. So I can't attend meetings. It's harder for me to connect with what's going on. But you know what? We have a phone. We have internet. We have technology. We live in really very, very lucky times. Uh, so you utilise all the tools that you've got. And um, yeah, I'm lucky enough that I work for myself. So I can work from home. Probably I'm being more productive because I'm not attending a whole heap of meetings. So I guess one thing I've been thinking, which will be quite interesting is, or would be interesting for somebody to look at is how productive Australia can be without attending meetings all the time. (laughs) Or how unproductive we're going to be when we're working from home and everyone is just Netflixing. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think of that. That's another idea. Yes. (laughs) Now, you would have to be one of the biggest social butterflies that I know. You're a very social person. Um, can you share some advice, you know, I suppose particularly geared towards people in Northern Australia that are out on cattle stations and in isolated areas on how they can remain connected during these times where social distancing is the buzzword and that's what we're being told to do is to keep our distance from other people. Events are being cancelled um, left, right and centre. It's going to be a very quiet year and especially when people live in isolated areas like on cattle stations, the social events are so important for their for their physical and mental health um what advice would you have on how we can still remain connected during these times oh look steph i'm no export expert but cattle stations by their very nature are isolated uh and i think you know social social events are hugely important uh so i mean i guess you just put it up like leave it up to people's discretion but it's really important to give your staff a break um and typically that's camp draft and whatnot which you know, um, I think have been called off. So find out from your neighbours, you know, could you go camping down in a beautiful waterhole? I know you've had a heap of rain up there this year, which is brilliant. Um, Hopefully that's widespread. Um, But, you know, find out from some other cattle stations, some mates and go down to a waterhole and have a weekend off. I know it's not the same as a camp draft or something like that, but it would be awful to go into town um, and bring that virus back to the station but I think stations really are very well equipped because they they're isolated by definition so they do social isolation really quite well I guess it's just really important to be vigilant with who you're mixing with because it's well by all accounts it's it's mild-ish if you're healthy uh but the, the you know for those that are you know compromised the um the outcome can be detrimental so yeah just look after yourselves be innovative I guess uh, with how you can get together. And I think, too, social media is really important. Social media, I usually hate social media, but it's actually giving me something to have a laugh at. Um, I'm not focusing on looking at all the serious stuff, but rather, you know, different funny things that people are doing. You know, um, this morning I found a guy that was playing noughts and crosses with his turtle in a fish tank. I mean, that just <laughs> amused me immensely. So it's really important to you know, continue having a laugh, continue getting with mates, but it might just look a little bit different from the for the near future. Yeah, absolutely. I did make a recommendation earlier in this episode that for every coronavirus article somebody shares in their newsfeed, they have to match it with one cat video, um, just so we're balancing it out. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Love it. And, um, Tim Courtney and- would be very happy. Yeah. <laughs> and to, <laughs> to wrap up now, um, obviously – not only does coronavirus have, you know, the potential to affect people's physical health, but mental health, even for the people that will never contract it, you know, it's on our media. It's, you know, 24 hours a day of rolling coverage. It's every, you can't, you can't not hear about it. And, and it's all quite, um, I suppose intimidating and scary news at times. And everyone's, you know, kind of, you know, and then, and then we see the, the images from, um, the shopping centers and all that kind of stuff. So obviously there's a, some pressure on people's mental health as well as this will erode at that over time, especially if this does last the six months they're saying it does. What advice do you have for people to sort of keep looking after their mental health? I mean, if if we were starting off on a level playing field with this, it would be challenging enough, but, you know, we've got people that are coming out of drought, floods, fires, you know, and, and all other sorts of hardships. So it's just kind of um, 
adding on to the load they're already carrying? Yeah, look, I think it's really important. I was actually speaking to, to, to Camille Camp last night and she's just chosen to not look at the news. And I think, like, we all know that it's happening. So I guess my advice us would be to find to, to switch off from all the drama if it's becoming too much for you. I personally have also switched off from it. I just like I, I just watched the Prime Minister's um, national address just then, just to keep up to date with the facts and where we're at. But then, sort of switching off from that a little, uh, find something every day that you can be grateful for. Um, it's it's a little thing and it sounds quite flippant, but I think gratitude is one of the biggest things that helps me with my mental health is to find something that I'm really grateful for because focusing on that rather than the drama and the, the awfulness that's going on that I can't control. So I guess it comes down to controlling your attitude. I can choose to be grateful and to find things that are positive that I can focus on or I can choose to sort of wallow in all of the drama and whatnot. And I guess that yeah, it, it's a choice. It's not easy. Um, I'm certainly not a mental health expert, so this is just from my own experience. But um, yeah, I guess just focusing on focusing on something to be grateful for and reaching out to a friend and just checking in on people. I think is you know maintaining that social connectedness as different as it may look is going to be really key. Okay. Okay. Last but not least, let's have a quick chat about how this whole saga is affecting our local economy. What I want to focus on is the small businesses who are hurting and will be for quite some time. For some businesses, online shopping will be a huge help. If you can't make it into town or you just don't want to go into the shops, please try and support small small local businesses before buying from Amazon, eBay or overseas. For all your Western wear needs, you can buy clothes directly from Ariad Australia or the Just Country Australia websites. And yes, that is a plug for our sponsor, but... You can also purchase Aria and Just Country products online from small regional businesses like the Kimberley Country Department Store, which is in Fitzroy Crossing in the Kimberley, or Worn Out West, which is in Mount Isa. So these are small family businesses locally run, stocking the big brands, and it's times like now that they really need your support. I know it might be tempting to jump online and do a Shepler's order, but supporting a bush business in this climate is just as important as supporting them through a drought. I think, though, that it's the hospitality industry that's going to be hit the hardest. I mean, aside from the travel industry. Venues that provide accommodation, dining and entertainment are hearing the sound of crickets right now. And this is where it gets hard. I can't tell you to go to your local pub or book a room in town or go on that tour boat down the river. These are choices that we all have to make for ourselves. I just think we need to be super aware of how much strain this is going to put on the economy. This isn't like the global financial crisis of 2007. This isn't a financial crisis first and foremost. It is a health crisis. Back then, people weren't spending money because they had no money. This isn't the case here. It's not that we're, that we've got no money. It's that we're too afraid to go out in public to spend our money. And even with a stimulus package that the government released and that will come into effect on March 31, it's only going to go so far. And I think that will be be spent mostly, well, seeing people's shopping behaviours, I wouldn't be surprised if people just hoard it or just, you know, online shopping. And online shopping does not help the hospitality industry. The hospitality industry relies on people to be there physically present for their transactions to be of value. So we're talking about bars and restaurants, um, entertainment venues. You've got anybody who, who entertains for a living, singers, performers, comedians, um, people who deliver courses. We've had the uh, Business Edge workshop um, postponed at the moment. There's a couple of other training schools that have been put on hold. You know, this is people's income and they've had to cancel all people that do public speaking, you know. These kind of things, you know, they need people there in person for their business to work. Um, so I just think that if you are in town and you do feel comfortable to go in and spend a couple of dollars here and there for towns that don't do online shopping because you can't buy beer online. I mean, you can from like Dan Murphy's, but you can't buy a, a pint from your local pub. So if you do have the opportunity to support them, now is the time to do so. Anyway, who am I to tell you how to spend your money? I just really wanted to raise awareness about that because I think it's going to be pretty massive in the next couple months. You know, the Prime Minister said this should be a good six months. It's going to hang around. And 
I don't think some people, it, it sounds, you know, from the commentary in the media, some businesses are not going to come out the other side of this, but we need to do whatever we can to support people by local and, and try and help them get through these times. Anyway, that is enough from me. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Maybe listen to the beginning of this podcast again if you need a timeout how long you should be washing your hands for. It's a little bit ironic, isn't it? Like all of a sudden everyone's drinking water and um, washing their hands and you'd be like, well, shouldn't we have been doing that our whole lives? Anyway, if you feel crook, please don't risk it. You know, they say you got to risk it for the biscuit. Well, there is no biscuits to be had right now. So do not risk it. Actually, I'm back because I just had a little, you know, thing pop into my head. Okay. There is a difference between facts and opinions. Everyone has an opinion. I mean, there's that saying, if you've got little kids around, maybe cover their ears. There's that saying that opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. Anyway, sorry, nobody asked for that, but you got it. Um, facts are different because not everybody has them. So make sure you just tune into the, to the, you know, yeah, the news can be kind of helpful, but I would just stick to more, um, reputable sources like the government websites, um, and that are putting out the official statements that that's, you know, that's where the news gets their information from. And then they put their little spin on it. And just remember, you know, fear sells, fear is big business. Fear has, as we've seen with toilet paper, you put fear into people, they spend up big. It's really good for some businesses, obviously quite awful for others. So just, and next time, you know, you're kind of absorbing the information from this, just remember, Facts and opinions are different things and fear cells.